Hello and welcome to The Artist Appeals, the podcast where we answer the question, how do you make a living with your art? In this podcast, we interview leading industry experts, working artists and creatives about how they make a living with their art. We seek the secret sauce to how do you make a living with your art? How do you make money with your art? So whether you're a photographer, a graphic designer, an illustrator, a hand letterer, are you a designer, a sculptor, a painter, whatever your medium may be, we have answers. We interview everybody we can get our hands on, leading industry experts from craft company CEOs to working entrepreneur, artistpreneurs. So welcome to the Artist Appeals. I am your host, Erin Sparler. And this is season three. In this episode of The Artist Appeals, we meet and talk with a watercolor artist who is also the owner of a gallery in Florida. His gallery is located in Key West and is called Dog Tired Studio. He's been doing watercolor work for nearly 30 years. In this episode, you hear how he got his start and how he has managed to create a huge body of work and legacy despite a very challenging prognosis. Please allow me to introduce you to the owner of Dog Tired Studio, Sean Callahan. Hello, Sean. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm so happy to talk to you today. You as well. Yeah, so this is the Artist Appeals, and we talk about your art today. I want to start with, as we always do, A for art. So how did you come up with your style of watercolor work? How did you find your voice and, you know, find your medium? Um, it's it's kind of a dramatic experience. Uh, when <laughs> I was in my 20s, I found out that I was HIV positive. And, uh, oh, and back then, uh, that was Sorry. over 30 years ago. And, um, I was told I had three years to live and I oh my God. didn't, uh, want to leave here without leaving something behind. So I just started painting furiously in watercolor. Um, uh-huh. and my decision was if I had three years to, to paint, what did I want to, what medium did I want? And uh, mm-hmm. so I looked at my favorite artist, which was uh, Andrew Wyeth, John Singer Sargent, Hopper, um, yeah, yeah. through all of those books. And uh, my favorite paintings of theirs were always watercolor. Uh, okay. So that's how I determined which medium I was going to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I tended to be the personality that uh, studied something for a little bit and then moved mm-hmm. on to something else. And, and in this experience i focused on watercolor like my life depended upon it so i painted every day and mm-hmm. really studied it and then i took a workshop in my local arts center frog hollow in in vermont and um i met this woman uh, kate gridley who had uh-huh. done this four class workshop uh-huh. and um it was only like an hour and a half two hours but I would paint all week and bring her like five or six paintings every week to see after class. Uh, (laughs) So uh, at the end of the fourth class, she pulled me aside and asked if I wanted to study with her. Oh, uh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So I ended up studying with her for five years with uh, four other people. Um, So it was kind of like my master's degree in a way, because we met with her on every Thursday for four hours and she would set up a still life and we would have to draw um, from life and then paint from life. And it, you would, it would take about a month to do a painting. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but we really learned, uh, how to see, mm-hmm. and I really learned how watercolor worked. Uh, but what blew me away was she was also an oil painter and did, you know, life size mm-hmm. paintings in oil of Supreme court justices. And, uh, I was just so lucky that she lived in Vermont when I did, uh, mm-hmm. And so her yeah. her really rich oil paintings are what really captured me, and I and I think that I kind of took her oils style and I applied it to watercolor because <laughs> uh, if you look at my watercolors, they're not typical for watercolor. They're not uh, wet and washy or pale. Um, yeah, they're, they're very intense. vibrant. Yeah, and they're fairly real realistic. You know, do you think she just saw your enthusiasm because? 
I, I've seen or read some other people talking about um, how to be successful and they talk about, you know, show up and just really show enthusiasm, never complain and just always leave the place cleaner than you than you uh, came to it. You know, just and I, I think that enthusiasm must have shown through, huh? Absolutely. I mean, I I was uh, I was so driven uh, to mm-hmm. figure it out. Like I, I just wanted to focus on this one thing and, and figure it out before I ran out of time. And, mm. uh, and I didn't, I didn't run out of time and I didn't lose focus. I didn't lose drive. I just kept going. Um, yeah, that's amazing. You know, that actually is a great question to answer right here is our second one was how do you keep your self motivated and creating on a regular basis? Now that you've been doing this for, you said 30 years, you've yeah. got tons and tons of work. How do you find new subjects and constant inspiration and, and stay in that moment, in that flow? Uh, I do bodies of work. So uh, ah. Uh, I'll I'll spend a year painting one subject for a show that may never be a show, but it'll be a, a chunk of work of something that I'm interested in learning. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a there's a common thread between ten to twenty paintings before mm-hmm. I leave that subject, um, and uh, it, it's usually something that bubbles up in my head or mm-hmm. something that I see uh, that. I see it in a different way. And, and so that gets filed into my head and then it starts forming and then it, it keeps showing itself up until I paint it. And, and then yeah. um, trying to think of examples. Like, uh, last year's show was called platform. Mm. Uh, and it, what I did was uh, I'm not a political painter, but this, these are some political times we're in and um uh, I watched the Supreme Court Justice uh, uh, Kavanaugh uh, mm-hmm. hearings with Dr. Ford Blasey, Blasey Ford. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm the youngest of 10, and I had a sister who was raped. Very similarly, Ugh. a story oh, to what she was she had said. Uh, and that all came back to me uh, when I watched the hearings, and I was so upset for her. Uh, and they asked her what she was doing that day of the event. And uh, she said she was practicing her diving at the country club. And I uh-huh. used that sentence. That sentence just kept running around my head. Um, and so I used, uh, I did a whole body of work with uh, divers, uh, paintings of divers jumping off of things. Um, huh. And they're little divers. So they're, whatever they're jumping off of was was made 10 times bigger and they were little. Uh, and, and so the show was called platform. And, um, I spent, uh, six months producing probably like 20 paintings. Uh-huh. Um, uh, before that I've, I've worked with writers. I worked with, uh, the head writer at general hospital to do a show called, uh, fish out of water. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote the story and I painted it. And, uh, do you paint every day. Uh, I used to, uh, I, I don't have the energy like, like I used to anymore. And, and I really feel like this pandemic, um, has for the first time in my life has sucked, uh, mm. my creativity. Like I still have the ideas and the imagery that comes through my head, but the desire to, to get it out immediately has been, uh, kind of, it's not halted, but it's definitely slowed down dampered. I get you. You know, I work in collections too, and that creates kind of like a a sign or a cosine wave for me. So there is something that I want to explore and I do it every day. Um, And then as I reach the end of that collection, I slow down and there's kind of a a resting period until I find that next thing that's going to um, do it. But I do find that working every day, once you have an idea, creates more ideas. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait for inspiration. I have, I have to look for, actively look for the idea and then take the action of creating every day um, to get those extra questions. I can't wait for the muse to come, um, if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. Is it sort of like that for you? Uh, it's absolutely, uh, except I was going to ask, uh, do you go, do you get a little depressed after you're done? The, sh- the body of work? 
Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a little bit of um, depressed. like um, it's a it, go. I don't want to call it depressed, but it's like, it's almost like um, you, uh, oh, I can't even explain it. It's like a low point where you're kind of sad that it's over. Yeah, it's like the and movie has ended. Yeah. And you have to walk out of the movie theater and go home now. And you can't wait for the next time to go to the movie um, or the next ball game or something like that. It's it's almost like not a letdown, but it is sort of a it's yeah, it's it's something I, I wouldn't call it depression, but it's certainly a low point. It's like, oh, what am I going to do next? For me, it's an Ugh. intense depression and it's usually last. A uh, little less than a month. Uh, the the mm. platform show was three months of depression, which was really hard to get through. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, I mean it's a part of the process for me, and um, to create I, an intense body of work, and then to be yeah. with it. I mean, if you didn't have an emotional uh, event of some sort after the fact, then maybe you weren't done yet. <laughs> you know what? Maybe I I do get it because I do have that sinking. It's it's like um a sinking in the pit of your stomach. I'm just reluctant to call it depression because I don't like to claim that. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you know what I mean? Yeah. But it is like a low point. It's like you get all this energy and you get all this um it's like adrenaline from creating and creating that new body of work and seeing it come to life and then when it's done it's like oh it's over. <laughs> I don't have any. I don't have any attachment to the final product at all. Uh, but oh, I you're do. lucky there. Yeah, because I, I know plenty of artists that are like, no, I can't get rid of that one. I'm like, you know, my my job was to get it out of my head, and mm. out. I don't have any emotional attachment to it at all. Um, oh, I do. I do. Because oftentimes they're memories for me. And so actually, that's a really good um, transition into our next um, question, which is product and selling your artwork as a product. So I try and keep these interviews, you know, uh, organized by using mm -hmm. this acronym appeals. So for me, example wise, you're talking about attachment. I had an attachment to my work and by turning it into a product, I was better able to let go of it. There was some sort of um, personal association with the artwork for me. You know, oftentimes it's a memory of a place or an event or a person that I've known. And so letting go of that was very difficult. But by turning it into products, I was able to disassociate myself from it a little bit more and certainly the reaction that people have to that work on a product is less intense for me than showcasing the real uh the original um what types of products do you make or sell your work as and how do you um look at that how do you look uh, at your work as a product you know uh, what i mean years ago i made uh gicle prints of uh, a lot of the work that I did and mm -hmm. I was in 12 galleries in Vermont that had all the prints in them and uh, I sold them online um, I, and uh, I had dog tired uh, t-shirts be the person your dog thinks you are and mm -hmm. dog tired studio which is the name of my gallery um, yeah yeah so you had products of you had branded products yeah so uh, for dog tired studio and uh, cool. yeah, so that, that helps when people come by uh, the gallery. Cause I'm in, I'm in Key West and a lot of up until lately, a lot of cruise ship people would walk by cause I'm right uh -huh. next to the Hemingway house. Uh, oh, cool. So uh, they like to grab something that says Key West on it. So that that's how I, I do that. But um, as I, and was I that got, a significant income? Not really, but it's just, it's enough to, to give them something to promote my gallery. Um, yeah. And, uh, so I know a little bit make... helps, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but I don't do prints anymore. Um, oh, no? I do commission work, uh, for pet portraiture mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, I do murals. So I will paint the mm. whole 
I've actually painted a whole building, uh, a bar oh, brilliant. I in love here, it. and I've done them in the Bahamas um, for uh, genuinely Bahamian products, uh-huh. and um, the Orchid Key Resort and Key West Jeep Adventures, and so I love uh, doing gigantic painting, huge. It's yeah. something like I like to do one a year, two a year, uh-huh. maybe. Uh, but cool. that takes me out of uh, uh, painting just in watercolor and uh, mm-hmm. painting huge. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think that is a really great um, example of I talk about in the podcast. And I do these little short 10 minutes during the week, and then we do these interviews on Fridays. And, you know, I'm trying to help people get some business skills. And we talk about product ladders, how it's really important that you have a product ladder where you have these little impulse buys, like you had at your gallery, be the dog, be the person that your dog thinks you are. I love that tagline, these little branded product for your gallery or your your introductory, your impulse buys, right? You know, they're probably like, what, 10 to $30? Yeah. But then they- you've got to have the top of the product ladder. And I love your example of these big, huge murals and commissioned work as those steps up the ladder. Exactly. You can't just be a painter. You have mm-hmm. to have um, prongs. Like, uh, so I have commission work. Then I get to paint mm-hmm. what I want to paint. And then uh, mm-hmm. you do murals. I also teach watercolor. So you have to um, you have to kind of have a number of of ways of, of promoting yourself. You are the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot yeah. of the people I interview talk about teaching as another big way that they get the word out, that it's not just a revenue stream. So, I mean, we're talking about product ladders, we're talking about revenue streams, but teaching is also a great way to um, expand your influence and and grow your audience, right? Absolutely. It, I, I don't do it often anymore, but uh, usually during uh, the season here starts mid-October and goes to May. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the snowbirds or people that come here in the winter um, mm-hmm. are usually older and uh, like to take some sorts of classes while they're here. So I'll yeah. do once a week class in the gallery for five to 10 people. Um, and um, my biggest fear is uh, I love to teach and I love to teach people to learn how to paint and watercolor but mm-hmm. I start my classes out by telling them I don't want them to paint like me I want them to paint like mm-hmm. them um, mm-hmm. and I explain the their voice like everyone has a voice and in, in painting so that you would look at seven of their paintings and know that they painted those paintings they're not yeah. copying someone um, and I've seen teachers uh, not just here but in other places where their students paint exactly like them um, and mm. then when there's a, there's a te- there was a teacher here that she passed away. She had about 10 students that studied with her for years. And you mm. walk into any of the galleries here and you can put, I could point out who studied with her because their work looks yeah. like her. Uh, and that's not my desire at all as a teacher, as a teacher, I want them to find their own voice and their own style and what turns them on. And I'm just showing them how the paint works and hopefully uh-huh. teaching them how to see mm-hmm. uh, as a painter and um, how to discover their voice. How do you discover your voice? I think that's a really deep topic that artists want to know, you know, beginning artists. They, they want to know how to find their voice, and it's hard. It is. And you know what? It, uh, to me, it's that little voice in your head that, that says, this is interesting, whatever mm. it is. Uh, and uh, I think for me especially – I can use myself as example here, but uh, yeah, ideas I used to have when I was younger, I would push them away as a bad idea or, um, and I'm talking about painting or, or composition. Um, as bizarre as it, it seemed in my head, I would push it away. And then I got to the point where I was more confident in, in mm-hmm. studying composition and, and those ideas never stopped coming. I stopped mm. thinking they were weird and crazy or you can't do that and instead mm-hmm. painted it. Um, and that was a long journey. And 
for me, um, I think a turning point for me was I was offered a show uh, in Vermont and I had a year to do it. And mm-hmm. so I decided to paint what I loved. And at the time, I had two yellow labs and I lived on a farm, a sheep farm. Mm-hmm. And um, I just spent a year painting my dogs swimming in Lake Champlain and running around the mountains. And mm-hmm. um, it was called Gone to the Dogs. And that show really <laughs> connected with people. Um, so that's where Dog Tired came from. I was actually going through chemotherapy treatments at the National Institute of Health. And you must have been dog tired. Yeah, and I was I was tired, and I was painting dogs. So it's dog tired studio. Uh, I love it. And did uh, I ever tell you? Um, I I used to go to Vermont growing up, uh, skied there quite a lot growing up, and then went to college there. So I saw your eight hundred two number, and I was like, oh, he's got a Vermont number. <laughs> I love Vermont. I lived there seventeen years. Um, oh yeah, right outside Great of Middlebury. Thing. Okay. Great state. Yeah. I went to UVM. Okay. Um, so you know Frog Hollow then? I do. I do. <laughs> I love those little towns. They're just yeah. so, there's something about Vermont that's uh, so different than anywhere else. It really is beautiful. I just don't want to be cold like that anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Those winters. Oh my God. When it's negative 15, <laughs> it's just not right. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Are you enjoying the Artist Appeals? I know I love recording it. This is just a quick break to encourage you to get your free download of the top four things that you can do to make money with your art at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. So get your free download at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com today. And now back to your regular program. So educating. You teach, but how do you, um, you know, so we're talking about finding your voice and we're talking about educating your students and helping them find their voice. I think one of the best ways you can find your voice is not only to paint subjects that you love and fascinate you, but also to, um, to do it every day, Absolutely. To, to paint every day. But have you found that educating um, your clients, people that buy your work about the stories behind the work, how do you do that? Oh, every, like you were saying earlier, everything that you do is there's a story behind it or there's something for you and inside that. That's why you created it. Um, yeah. And you walk in my gallery and I have a story behind every single painting that, that is my story. Um, and I, I will tell the people that walk in, if they ask about a certain piece, I'll tell them the story. Um, Mm -hmm. the last show that I did for platform that's a real intense story. Yeah. Um, and one that the client may not necessarily need to know. Mm. Uh, so sometimes it's better to keep it as your story. Um, it doesn't matter that whoever sees, like they see it as something completely different that excites them. Then why change mm-hmm. that? Um, so yeah, my, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing. Um, yes, there is a story behind everything I create, but um, it, it's mine. Um, if I think it's a fun yeah. story or an interesting one, um, I'll tell it. Uh, but I've, I've learned for like the platform show that uh, even though that was a show for me to learn and for people to see uh, how it affects people, um, it was hard for me to explain it to to people when they thought it was a pretty painting of someone jumping off of something. Um, Right. Well, you know, I've heard from other artists on the, on the podcast, the importance of story behind the work and, and telling the story. Um, But like you said, it doesn't always have to go too deep. Sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's just, giving the information about where the image came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for example, um, Jeffrey Stoner was a guest of ours and he's a great photographer in lots of galleries and does very well. And his two most popular collections are goats and trains and his goats are on top of the mountain with some great Pyrenees. And they had, uh, he gone to photograph them because it was a environmental project 
for controlling invasives on the top of the mountain using cashmere goats. And so really just telling that story or the story of the individual goats worked for him. And he puts it on the back of his photographs. He does an actual write-up for each photograph, giving the name of the goat and a little bit of story, blah, blah, blah. Do you include um, with your work, do you include write-ups? Like what kind of materials do you actually include with your products, with your prints or your originals or whatever um, to tell the stories that you choose to tell? Like what kind of materials, um, uh, packaging and stuff like that? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I do. And uh, again, the, the I don't, I want to just bring it up. The platform show is the, the, it's the first time I felt like I couldn't tell the story anymore. Um, mm. Prior to that, I had no problem telling the stories to people because they were they were about my life, me personally. Uh, oh, because uh, they were your stories to tell. Maybe because the platform story wasn't really your not, story. Yeah, it was my sister's, and it was my it was uh, Doctor Ford's, and and, uh, and it was about rape, which is very. I mean, it's a dark Hard subject, dark subject. Um, and I'm not a dark person at all. I was pretty lighthearted. So, I mean, it was very diff- – that was a very difficult show. Um, but when people buy something from me – and actually, I'm in the middle – when COVID hit, um, I have not ever uh, put all of the work I've completed in 30 years together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm in the process on social media for the past uh, – even before COVID. So I'd say for the past mm, almost a year, really, I've been posting a painting a day from way back when till now um, of everything I've ever created with the story. So uh, like today was winter farm and it's a painting I did in Vermont on one of the coldest days I've ever experienced in my life. And, um, and I, 40 yeah, negative yeah nose hair froze uh-huh uh, and uh i worked from a photograph because it was just too cold but i had to get out of my car and run and photograph this this barn this really old barn um from different angles and uh-huh. uh, literally my hands wanted to like fall off um and that painting was was interesting because I was still learning how to do landscapes and there's a mountain in the background where I'm painting every tree and it Uh doesn't look real. And so I was trying to figure out, so I just washed away all the trees and by doing that, it looked real. So, I mean, I learned a lot from that painting, Uh even though I painted it 25 years ago. uh, I remember that painting well, and it popped up today and I wrote the story of my hands freezing and, um, and my neighbors bought that painting and it hangs in Vermont today. Um, I love that story. What social media platform are you posting on? That's on uh, go follow you. Facebook, uh, dog tired studio and gallery, uh, okay. and, uh, Instagram dog tired studio. Uh, now you say it popped up. So are you resharing the post from, no. Facebook, like, okay. Um, I found uh, boxes of slides. Like, when I was your age, we didn't have internet. <laughs> hey, hey, you don't know how old I am, and I actually have slides. I was in college when the internet was invented, so I'm kind of dating myself here. But I, you know, I got an email address when I went to college for the first time, and I was like, who am I going to email? Nobody has email. Like, none of my friends or family had emails. It, it, it was novel. So, and we made slides. Of, yeah. I would have every painting photographed, professionally photographed. Mm-hmm. At four to six slides of each painting so I could send them out to shows and galleries. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Yep. So, uh, so you're scanning those in now? You're, yeah. you're bringing those back. Yeah. I love it. So nobody's ever seen those. And so uh, it's funny because. Uh, people in Key West think I just kind of floated on, like landed on the rocks here and just started painting. <laughs> uh, so they, they didn't even know. So a lot of people that don't know me that well here thought I just did one certain type of work that very vibrant uh-huh. and very tropical. Um, uh-huh. 
had no idea that I'd done, I'd spent time in Ireland and did tons of Irish landscapes and mm. uh, in Vermont. I did tons of uh, Vermont landscapes and sheep mm-hmm. and donkeys and uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah. And then there very are very different settings and very different color palettes. Yeah. And it's so uh, I've been posting them. It's been a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> and, and again, there's stories behind all of them. I love it. So how do you amplify? We've covered art, we've covered product, presentation, educating, and now we're on the A, which is amplify. And basically the idea behind this acronym and this part of the acronym amplifies, how do you get bigger? How do you find more people? How do you engage them? How do you grow your network and your email list? Social media, everything that you can do that's free. Uh, and I, I bring up social media because that's the, the most obvious, uh, mm-hmm. is get it out there 9 a.m., 5 p.m., twice oh. a day. Uh, that's when people usually log on uh, quickly mm-hmm. for their account, see what's going on. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, they'll do mm-hmm. the same. So uh, I try to get things out those, those times a day. And I'm religious about it. I wake up mm-hmm. in the morning and I post a painting and a story while I'm having my first cup of coffee. Um, nice. And then when I leave the gallery or I, I'm done for the day, I post a painting or I post a picture of me painting or a picture of some, a photograph I took um, mm-hmm. uh, or an experience. They, uh, they don't just want to know about your work. They want to know about you. So yeah. um, on social media, I share a little bit of my life or through photographs, um, through storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's a multimedia experience, uh, about my, my experience, what I, yeah. what I'm going through and what I'm, what I find interesting. Um, and, and there's, there's, a what's, what has been like inventions have definitely changed my work. Uh, when they what when do you mean by inventions gopro camera uh, mm-hmm. i love reflection and i did so many paintings of boats in water and the mm-hmm. reflection of the boat on the surface of the water and then what created that how does that happen um and then gopro cameras came out i got one and then i was because i live in key west i'm in the water all the time and i started yeah. filming from underwater above and how oh, I've seen some of your diving work, and I love your pig swimming, and you do a lot of animal <laughs> I swimming, swam with swimming that dog pig. swimming. <laughs> I swam with that pig in the exumas. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, it, because it's at the surface of the water level, so it's a different perspective. GoPro camera. Um, I love it. So, that so you use that as a reference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so GoPro cameras changed how I could get a totally different perspective. Uh, I think you're the first artist to say they're using a GoPro. Um, Do you capture stills from it? How do you, I mean, the GoPro is normally video, right? Well, I was, when I first started, I was just trying to take stills, which is the wrong way to go, especially with things that are moving. I would catch an eye or a giant tail, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) never get what I wanted. And then I'm like, Oh, just film it. And then, take the, the video and then start, stop it at the composition that you want and then work from that. Uh, so do you put it up on a monitor? I'll just, uh, I put it in uh, Photoshop. I'll run mm-hmm. the video and start, stop it until I get what I want. And then I'll, I'll cut that frame out and, and make it into an image. And then I'll work from that image. What are you cutting it out in? Photoshop doesn't run video, does it? Yeah, cut and paste, sure. Oh, I didn't know you could open video in Photoshop. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I'm pretty sure that's how I do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have to let me know. I mean, I use Lightroom, Photoshop, Illustrator pretty extensively. I've never tried to open video in Photoshop. I open video in Lightroom, 
Um, and I was just actually, it's ironic, just this morning, I was like, hmm, how am I going to capture a still frame from video to put titles over? Because I want to do more YouTube videos, mm-hmm. uh, more YouTube process videos, and I want to create, you can upload a thumbnail for YouTube, where you can put text over top of it. And that's very popular right now. Um, and it's very um, helpful. I know when I search YouTube, I love seeing these thumbnails with the exact title of the video and what's in the video. And if they don't have that, a lot of time I'm, I scroll right past it. Do you do YouTube? I, I do. I have a little bit, like I have, um, I have, a, <laughs> I have a website called, uh, high artworks, uh, H I G H. And, uh-huh. um, it's basically the, I interview artists who I actually Elizabeth St. Hilaire's on there. Her drug, oh, really? drug of choice was vodka. Um, <laughs> so you're allowed to pick the, or I, I interview artists who I love and uh, friends of mine and uh, that are artists. And I let them pick the drug of choice within reason. And that can, <laughs> I mean, and then we, we do that and we, I interview them about their work with kind of what you're doing now. And, um, some like one person, one person chose donuts. I mean, that's fine. I love donuts. We had donuts and milk, and I interviewed them. Uh, uh, Marlene Koenig, her drug of choice was Cupcakes. gin. Cupcakes. I can't. Okay. I can't stand gin. I hate it. It makes me sick. But I drank it, and I interviewed her, and it was amazing. Uh, we had like two and a half hours. Her husband's a poet, and she is an uh-huh. ex painter, and um, so. I, I do that. What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I went and had to look up the website, highartworks.com. This is brilliant. I love it. I love it. I almost want to be on it, but I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally fun. Uh, like, But also I do it, uh, YouTube videos for beginning watercolor. I think uh-huh. I have three or four of them on uh, Facebook, Dog Tired Studio and Gallery. Um, where yeah. you're three and it just gives you the basics of what tools you should get, um, how to do basic brushwork. Um, and then you do a monochromatic apple just using mm-hmm. one color. Um, so I've done, I've played around a little bit with YouTube, um, mm-hmm. not enough and I should do it more, but yeah, during, like during this time has not been, although I've done about 15 large paintings since March, uh, mm-hmm. It's a weird time for me. Yeah. Well, you know, this this all started with the idea of amplification. And you mentioned Elizabeth. She was last week's um, interview on Friday. And she was talking about how she posts her work as she creates it. She posts multiple times a day. And she mentioned social media as well. And now you're bringing up social media and how you post at five and nine. And I think it's that religiousness. It's that um, having a plan and sticking to it, which is really hard for artists. I have that problem. Like I've been trying to be more consistent with showing up on social media in a consistent manner. Um, I posted a piece of artwork, minimalist Enso paintings for three years, every single day. And by giving myself that goal and saying, I will post every single day, no matter what I did. But then it was like you were talking about when you finish that collection, when you hit that goal, you know, my goal was at first to do one year of just circles, only circles allowed. And then the second year, I was like, okay, I'm going to allow line now. I did the second year. But then the third year, I didn't really set a goal. I didn't have a rule. Uh, And so I slowly slacked off. And now I'm kind of back to that point where I want to give myself a challenge, a rule to post every day in some way. Um, And so I think that's the point of amplification is how do you get out there in a consistent manner? Um, Elizabeth's one of my dearest friends and I've loved her to death. I've never met an artist with that kind of energy. Like she has, and I don't know if you know this, but a few years ago when I first met her, she was playing violin in an orchestra. She had two two little kids and uh, teaching workshops, doing shows. Uh, I I was just like, how the hell 
<laughs> I didn't know that about her. I didn't know she played violin. Yeah. She never even mentioned it. Yeah, well, I don't know if she plays anymore, but she still she uses musical notes in her work. And I think that's, her, that's a little homage to her uh, violin playing. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, amplification. You, I, I know way too many artists that they're, they're great at what they do, but yep. promote it. Is it's like a another language to them. They have no idea, or they they put their their worst critic, and they don't think it's good enough. Even mm-hmm. when I look at it and I see it, it's amazing, they just don't. They freeze. Uh, yeah, and I, like I actually came from a business background, so mm. uh, I think that helped me marketing wise. And um, I think having that marketing background. And being really ignorant about uh, how good I was or how bad I was, um, I was promoting my work way before I should have been. <laughs> mm. Well, what would you say? What is one tip you could give artists that are scared to promote um, out there? It, it, it sounds cliche, but you know, you fake it till you make it. But I, I really walked into places with like, you definitely want my work in this space. And I look yeah. back thinking, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. You just got to do it. I mean, and also I got to say in Vermont, uh, my partner at the time opened a fine dining restaurant and that's mm-hmm. where I did my very first show. And mm-hmm. um, it was just a lot of still life paintings uh, and it filled mm-hmm. the, the restaurant and it had a little opening and I sold out in two hours. And, oh, awesome. Uh, it, it was it was incredible. And um, that was great. And it was also awful because you mm-hmm. then expect every show you're going to have to be that. Um, and mm-hmm. so that show was that took many years to produce. And I picked the best pieces of a long period of time to put in there. And I, mm-hmm. I didn't put the right prices on there. Like they were all mm. too low. So mm-hmm. it was like a and they're done that the perfect, yeah <laughs> the perfect storm you know so they they sold right away and uh, that next show I did I sold four and I was so mm-hmm. like what happened I'm the same painter but my prices went up my subjects changed because um, my early paintings were all I used apples and pears round objects and set them up in still life. Uh, and use shadow to make them interesting. So the light source would change. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where I got my start with simple shapes and then moved on to Irish landscapes because I was going to Ireland every year. And I started with dogs and I did dogs. I still do dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Uh, well, I think some subjects are easier to buy. I think some subjects for clients are easier to buy because they're easy to hang. They go with any decor. Um, I certainly have had something similar happen where I had a great show at a vineyard and the setting was just right. You know, there was music, there was poetry, there was um, wine flowing freely Mm -hmm. and, you know, the work were landscapes and they were framed very nicely and they were underpriced and things just sold like hotcakes. But then Mm -hmm. I've had other shows where you change the subject, you change the location and it just doesn't work. Yeah, There's a lot and, of variables, and, and you have to have tough skin. You got to be like, okay, that one didn't work. It doesn't mean it wasn't good. It just didn't connect, and you move on. Uh, yeah, and uh, the restaurant thing though, that was interesting because uh, if I was just starting out, and, and this is what I did do is is in Vermont before I get, got involved in galleries, I got it. I did. I hung work in restaurants. Uh, I picked fine dining restaurants throughout Vermont. And I mm-hmm. would let them hang my work if I could have a tag with a price. Uh, mm-hmm. More people go out to eat than they go into galleries, or at least they right. used to. We're in a weird time. Yeah. But um, so really good you're getting people, if you're new to showing your work or you're a little apprehensive about it, I would approach a, a restaurant and say, you know, I would really love to show some of my work here. They, it's a win-win. They get artwork and you get exposure so people come in to eat dinner on a friday night at a nice restaurant they look around and if they see work that they like they look at the name 
And then they, they're like, oh, that's so-and-so. And then you move, you slowly move your way up into galleries. And then like, oh, I saw their work at Starry Night Restaurant. And now I'm, you know, now I'm here. Um, mm-hmm. You build, you build a brand and you are the brand. So I like it. Don't. I've heard people say that restaurants aren't good because food can get splattered on your artwork or whatever. But I think if you protect it. With, for me, it was watercolor. It was behind, it was under glass. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of them fell and the glass broke. Uh, you know, that's the cost of business, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I created, I mean, you're, if you're painting every day and you're creating all of this work, uh, you just, you know, if something gets ruined, it gets ruined. It's just, it's just a piece of paper. Uh, it's, you know, granted, it is our work and we should be paid for it. And we, 90, I would say 90% of the time I do. Um, but anyway, that's restaurants are good. I love that. Um, I love that, Sean. I got to go back to that. Our artwork is our work and you deserve to get paid for it. Hallelujah. Absolutely. Um, also donating your work, (laughs) the opposite of getting paid for it, uh, (laughs) is I donate so much work to, I, I pick my causes. Uh, so the SPCA, uh, because uh-huh. I do a lot of pet portraiture, I, I do, I donate dog portraits to the SPCA all the time to the highest bidder. Um, uh-huh. that's a great way to get people to know me as a dog portrait artist. Um, mm. but if you have, if like I donate to cancer societies, I donate to AIDS help, um, mm. I have paintings hanging at the National Institutes of Health. Um, mm. uh, they, I had two shows there uh, while I was going through the chemo treatment. It was experimental, and I, uh, they have incredible artwork there. And I, this is one of those, I was uh, ignorant of my talent, uh, and I, I went to the art curator there, and I just said I wanted to do a show. But meanwhile, the, these buildings have some of the best artwork in the world. Uh, <laughs> I had no right meeting with her, talking to her. But lo and behold, I got a show. Um, and that Obviously, was- you did deserve it. You know, I, I think that that bold audacity pays off. You've just got to try. Yeah. You just can't be afraid. Um I ended up getting two shows there and the curator bought four of my paintings, three for the oh, National wow. Institute of Health and one for a, a Virginia cancer center. Um, so uh, I love that those paintings hang there because people go into those buildings sick and they don't feel good and art makes you feel better. Uh, mm. So mm-hmm. I'm well, creating it there. and seeing it. And, and also, I think that's a great idea for amplification. Yeah. Health centers and hospitals and, you know, even if you're a baby photographer, I've, I've had two kids and the wards are covered with baby photos. So, yeah, you go, you go to a, a, a hospital that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, obstetricians offices and stuff and yeah. uh, pediatrics. And you, if that's what your focus is on your, your art, and have some of them your work there, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, I did two residencies in Ireland. Uh huh. She gets a, it's called Kill Relic and Balance Gaelic. Um, you get your own cottage on a cliff looking out over the ocean. Uh, it gets like seventy thousand dollars, seventy thousand applicants a year. Uh, huh. And this was when you use slides, and uh-huh. um, I sent slides in, not thinking at all that I would get in. And at the time I was painting Irish cottages and unbeknownst to me, I was painting them because I was interested in them. Uh, unbeknownst to me, they were all being, uh, bought up and taken down and houses built, uh, at Ah. the time. And so the woman that owns the residency saw what I was doing as important as documentation of what these cottages look like. Uh, And so, you just never know. Like I, I sent those, those slides of those cottages in because I loved them, uh, and she saw the importance of those cottages as a a record. Uh, 
And uh, mm-hmm. and so I was able to go there twice and, and paint and have a place to live in my own studio. And um, so just in the beginning and just it's a job. You work hard and you apply for everything you can. Yes. Yes. Just keep reaching out. And actually yesterday in my short little 10 minute rambling, I was talking about the importance of follow up of just following up, following up, following up, following up. Yeah. Um, so that brings us on to licensing and contracts. Um, I was talking about it in terms of art licensing, because that's kind of a field that I'm pursuing right now. But you're more fine art, but you also have a gallery and so forth and so on. What tips or tricks would you offer to artists about licensing and contracts? I don't have a lot of uh, knowledge in that. Um, I kind of cut out the middleman and just do it myself. Uh, mm-hmm. it, and so um, I've been approached a couple times for licensing, and um, it's just it's not for me. I don't know mm-hmm. why. I don't know why I say that, but it isn't for me. Um, and and I don't know enough about it to talk. Well, let me rephrase that for you then. So the artist owns the copyright on their artwork mm-hmm. and you sell the originals. Now I'm going to presume that you photograph the work mm-hmm. before you sell it because you have slides and, and you're from that background. So you document all your work. Yes. Yes. Now, what if you wanted to make G clay prints of an original that you had sold to a client? I'm allowed to, um, your signature yes, on your you art is your copyright. Um, and it's funny how many people buy original artwork that think they own the image. It's not funny, actually. Uh, and mm-hmm. they, they think that they can photograph it and use it as a Christmas card. or um, And that is uh, – and I've had that happen. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. I, I Down here I did – I, I hired a guy. We, everybody here calls him the coconut man because he gets – he. You hire him to take coconuts out of your trees so they don't hit people. Uh, <laughs> and he gets okay. a couple hundred It's a problem dollars. I never considered. I know. It, it, it's a couple hundred dollars a tree. Um, and so he takes those coconuts and he sticks them in a giant freezer at his house. And then on weekends, he takes a machete and on the street, he'll just cut the tops open, stick a straw on it, and he charges tourists $5 for a coconut. He's getting paid twice. Yeah. And so one day I saw him and I asked him if he would model for me with Mm -hmm. coconuts. And, uh, you know, he agreed. And so I I paid him $50 for modeling. I bought the coconuts and then I did the painting. And as Mm -hmm. a thank you to him, because he was very nice uh, and I just kind of landed here, uh, I gave him, I made a print of the original and I gave him Mm -hmm. a print. Well, um, I was, I was working in uh, a gallery here at the time, uh, stone soup and the mm. six people on bicycles stop and walk in the gallery and they have t-shirts on. And then the back of the t-shirt is the painting I did of Manny, the coconut man. Oh, geez. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, that's my painting. <laughs> and they're like oh we just got these from this guy because those coconuts on white street i'm like yeah that's manny <laughs> so oh I, man i went up to manny i'm like what are you doing and he's like well i made t-shirts i'm like that's great manny but you can't do that <laughs> right you gotta explain to people oh so did he cease and desist uh probably not but he's he's a he's a Key West character, and uh, it's hard enough to live here. And if that helps him, that's fine. But uh, to be honest, people really don't know that you're not allowed to do that. Right, right. Um, so uh, that's a bummer when that happens. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I could put a book out. I could make prints of certain paintings. Actually, when I paint, uh, I posted Winter Farm. Someone asked if I would make a print of it, and I said no, uh, because uh, my friends own that painting, and um, 
it's a it's a tightrope, you know. If somebody buys an original and you haven't made a print of it yet, uh, I kind of feel a little obligated. I don't know, not to mm. make a print. Um, Interesting. A lot of people that collect original artwork wouldn't buy something that had a print attached to it. Hmm. They want the now, original. That's it's interesting it. because Maria Brophy was on the uh, podcast and she's the wife and art agent of Drew Brophy, who's a very prominent surf artist. And she does do both. She, um, they sell originals and they make prints and the prints world they've licensed um, this one piece of art they've licensed on hundreds of different products and made a quarter million dollars with this one little tiny eight by 10 painting or something like that. And I asked her how her clients felt about purchasing original artwork that was available as prints or um, on products. And she said she didn't think they had a problem with it because it makes their work more valuable. But I think I could see it going either way. Um, I was friends with uh, Warren Kimball in Brandon, Vermont. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And he was just a, he was an art teacher in, a, in the school in Brandon. And he did a lot of his work on old barnwood. Um, mm. And Walmart approached him. And he went from being just a regular guy to making a fortune on his wow. work. Um, and it ruined his, it ruined it. <laughs> I, I hope he doesn't hear this. Uh, but, but to me, I mean, it just, his paper plates and napkins and like everything toilet paper everything you can imagine had his images on it and i was just like you know his work was really special until this happened and i so i mm. don't know like i don't i'm i'm not an artist because i i see this big pot of money at the end um mm. i do it because i'm passionate about it and i really if you stuck me in a cell with just a crayon i would do it uh mm -hmm. just inside of me that it has to come out so if there is any kind of financial uh thing at the end of it that's great um but it's not what drives me at all and um and i i remember being really disappointed for him uh, mm. because he became really famous really fast and made a lot of money and then his work was saturated everywhere mm -hmm. and then nobody wanted it. Mm. Uh, so that's a, that's a scary place to go. Yeah. Um, I think it's almost like you were talking about the ups and downs of releasing a collection. You can make a whole new body of work. And then when you're done, there's kind of this, this, um, this depression or this lull. And I think that can be happen with licensing too. Um, I have an art agent who licenses my work. And he was talking about the need for constant new work that clients always want to be seeing new work. And, um, and that if you found a style, if you found your voice and you're not willing or wanting to transition and create new work and new voices and new collections all the time, um, there can be a downside to licensing. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Uh, I was in a gallery down here and I love her. Uh, but if I sold a turtle, sea turtle, mm -hmm. I would have to pay 10 sea turtles. I want more of these. I want more of these. I want more of these. And so yeah. you become a factory of what is perceived as what people want. And, um, and you know that as an artist, you have to do that um, to survive. I mean, there is a, I mean, you, you, part of you is you get to paint what you want. Part of you mm -hmm. has to paint what they want. And then part yeah, if of you, you get famous for style, you can get pigeonholed. Yeah. Like I was the dog guy in Vermont. I mean, everybody knew me as the dog guy. I painted dogs. That's all I did. Even though there uh -huh. was work everywhere that said otherwise, uh, that's what people saw me as and that's what they wanted. 
And when I moved mm. here, I stopped painting dogs completely. Didn't tell people I painted dogs. <laughs> um, I All I did was paint tropical stuff. And I really took the time to learn how to paint people and skin tones. And um, mm-hmm. so I was, I was determined not to be the dog guy uh, until I opened the gallery here six years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I started painting dogs just because I wanted to pay rent. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so... You know, you have, there's a part of you that has to give them what they want, but don't lose what's inside of you either. You know, you have to do that too, or it's a balance. Yeah. 50, 50, 50% of you has to do what they want. And 50% of you gets to be what you want. Mm. I like that. And finally, S for success. Do you set goals? Do you set like financial goals or number of pieces created per year type of goals or social media number goals? Like how do you um, plan for success and measure success or what constitutes success for you? Because it's different for every artist. Like what makes you feel successful and how do you celebrate that? I think that answer changes the longer you're at it. Uh, And I feel like I'm at the end of mine uh, as far as uh, I I feel like I'm taking this time right now in isolation and posting my body of work for the past 30 years. So Uh. it's up in the internet and people can see it. So if something happens to me, it's there. Uh, and if I die tomorrow, I feel like I created a pretty solid body of work. Um, uh-huh. I'm not driven by money, but I'm, I may have been at one time, uh, uh-huh. when I was in Vermont, I probably was driven to success. And I thought success was being in as many galleries as possible and, uh, making money and, um, having people know who I was. And, uh, mm-hmm. that is, none of that is important to me at all now. Um, uh, in fact, I, I barely go to my gallery now. Um, <laughs> I paint only what I want. Occasionally I'll do a dog. Um, I'll only do a mural mm-hmm. if it's interesting to me. So my, my idea of success now is that I want to look at a painting that I'm doing now that breaks the boundaries of what I was able to do before. So Ah, I I look at a painting and I'm like, that is the best I've done or, Mm. or something changed in me here. Uh, Mm -hmm. That to me is a success Um, to look at, at seven to 10 paintings and go, I'm learning something new here. There's something new coming here. Um, that I, I haven't been able to do before. That's success. Um, being in a thousand galleries, I don't really care. <laughs> I love it. I love the fact that your uh, form of success, your idea of success has changed over time. But I love the idea that your social media posting is being driven by almost like um, an archive. You're archiving, you're sharing your body of work. And I love the fact that you're doing it through social media and creating a record in the public for people to see. I think that's a great motivator. And I love that you consider success now um, one-upping yourself, or you will, or or, um, improving on your best work. That's beautiful. Yeah. I I definitely want to keep pushing until I stop breathing. Like I'm always going to create, but I I don't want to keep creating the same thing. I want to pushing the boundaries. Yeah. How far can I go with this? And, and, um, right now I'm in an acrylic, I'm painting in acrylics. So, mm. uh, I, I, uh, I'm trying this whole new medium where, um, I get to use white paint. It's, it's super cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, wonderful. Yeah. You don't use white and watercolor. The, um, blank negative space of the, paper is traditionally the white yeah uh you, and, and and i was taught you weren't allowed to use gouache so and i t- when i teach i don't let them use gouache um oh but- well i'm not coming to study with you then <laughs> <laughs> i use watercolor all the time and i love putting white 
into my watercolor as it's wet to see <sighs> the white just explode <laughs> into that ink. Bad, is it bad, just bad? <laughs> I know. I love it though. It's so satisfying. Well, what cracked me up is you know my teacher didn't let us use it, and uh-huh. uh, I went to the National Gallery once, and it was a John Singer Sargent collection, and and I'm looking uh-huh. at these gigantic watercolors with huge swaths of white gouache, and I'm like, well, he used it. Yeah. <laughs> he did it. Well, if they told you to jump off a cliff, would you do it too? <laughs> well, right? If he did, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm I'm making a joke about the mom expression. <laughs> Anyways, on that note, I think that is a fabulous measure of success um creating a body of work, creating a legacy. Yeah. And uh pushing the boundaries of what you can do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much Sean. This has been a fabulous talk. I really enjoyed uh speaking with you. You as well. And and if you can hold on the line for just a moment. Yep. Do you want to learn how to make money with your art, but you're a little bit pressed for time and you don't have time to listen to every single episode? Well, we've made a free download for you at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. You can get your free download and it includes the top four things you need to do today to start making money with your art. So, if you want to learn how to make money with your art, but you're pressed for time, get the free download over at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. All one word, no spaces, all spelled out. That's howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. Get your free download now.